0: I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to get away last week. We were on vacation for a week out in California, and we had just a wonderful time. We visited family, visited mom and dad. My folks are getting up in years, and it was really good to spend some time with them, and it was a challenging week with them as they continually get older. Some of those challenges are getting greater. We had a, just a great opportunity to spend three days with them, spend some time with my brother, Steve. We also were able to see uh, Sue's brother and also sister, and we just spent time with family, with friends. We also had the privilege last Sunday, we visited the church that my wife and I met when we were teenagers, Grace Bible Church of Anaheim. We were teenagers back then, and we sat in the same pew that we sat in when we were teenagers, and I was able to put my arm around her again like we did many, many years ago. That was the same church that my wife and I were able to pastor for five years, a number of years ago. And it was really good to make uh, contact with some of the people there that we've known for many, many years. And it was just a really great, great week. We got some sun. It was, uh, it's always sunny out in California. But I have to tell you that the day that we left on Monday, it was warmer here than it was in California. So be thankful that you're part of West Michigan's uh, weather. <laughs> I also want to thank Pastor Matt for filling the pulpit last week. It's always good to know that uh, we have opportunities to share the Word of God And it's because of Christ that we gather here and continue to feed our souls. And I just appreciate Pastor Matt taking that opportunity to share uh, from God's word last week. You know, the freeways of Southern California are really fun. Uh, I have not missed uh, being involved in the traffic of Southern California, but going back there, boy, it was another great experience. You never know what you're going to see when you go on the freeways of Southern California. We were leaving Cherry Valley from where my folks live. They're out towards the Palm Springs area. And we were going through the, um, uh, the valley there, and we were on our way back into Orange County. And we were on the freeway. We were, uh, saw a couple of motorcycles that were in front of us. There was a pack of motorcycles. There were three or four of them. One of the motorcycles had a sidecar to it. And as we approached this motorcycle with the sidecar, we looked and we were making comments. It looked like somebody was sitting in the sidecar. But we couldn't figure out. It looked like a child. It was kind of small in stature. And then I thought, I told my wife, I think it's a dummy because it wasn't moving. And as we pulled up closer to this vehicle, uh, I said, Suze, you've got to take a picture of this. And so she did. And here's the picture. Palm Sunday. I don't know if you can see this, but this is Rover, a brown lab with goggles and a hat. And I think he had a tattoo on his left shoulder. (laughs) When we went by and saw this, we just had a really good belly laugh. We watched this motorcycle going down the road of about 70 miles an hour And this dog was sitting there just happier than can be, wind blowing in his face. He had his goggles on and his hat, and we just had a good, good belly laugh. There's nothing like going on vacation. (laughs) And you never know what you're going to see on the freeways of Orange County in Southern California. I have to say, though, that it is so good to be back home. There's nothing like West Michigan, and I need to let you know that we missed you last week. We were thinking about you, we were praying for you, and we were missing you. It's great to be back here to West Michigan, and it's truly a great place to be a part of. I think that Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz said it well when she said over and over again, there's no place like home. And thank you for the privilege of being able to come back and to share with you this morning from God's Word. I'd like to draw our attention to God's Word and to Jesus Christ this morning, the Great I Am. I believe that we need to hear a word from Him today. I believe that God still speaks. I believe that our souls are hungry for Him, like a deer that pants for streams of water, so our soul pants for God. On behalf of Him this morning... May I ask you for your permission to speak and over these next few moments for you to sit, not passively, but I encourage you to sit on the edge of your seat to eagerly hear what God has to say to you and also to us corporately. I believe that God wants to speak to us. Will you this morning... Will you take your antenna of your soul and will you find a good reception in your soul to listen intently to what he has to say to you? This could be a very significant moment in your week's activities as you have gathered here not to put time in to punch our clock to say I've attended. We don't do that with church. We don't punch a clock to say I've done my time. No, we rather come to give worship to the Lord Jesus Christ as we have done through many different avenues of our worship, but we also come to listen and to hear and to quiet ourselves before God. Speak, O God, for your church is listening. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Zechariah chapter 9 verses 9 and 10, two verses this morning that I'd like to draw your attention to. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. To find, to find Zechariah, why don't you find the last book of the Old Testament, which is Malachi, or find the first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew. And between Matthew and Malachi, we have about 400 years of silence. If you go to Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and then go back one more book to Zechariah, you'll find the book of Zechariah, a prophet that spoke some 500 years before Jesus was to come on the scene. I believe, friends, that we need to be people of the book. I hope that you bring your Bibles to Parkside Bible Church because Bible is our middle name. We need to know the book. We need to be people of the book. We need to wear out The book, so that our souls are not worn out. We need to open the pages on a daily, weekly basis. We need to wear this book out so that our souls are fed on a regular basis. Don't let your Bible sit vacant on the shelf collecting dust. For when we do, our souls will become dry and we will not hear what God wants to say to us individually and also to us corporately. Oh, how God wants to speak a word into our hearts and what he wants to say to us. This book is our book. This book is what we believe to be true. This is our book. Be people of the book. I doubt that you have been oblivious to the story of Ms. Hawkins, a tenured Wheaton College political science professor who announced that she would wear that covering over her face during the entire Advent season as an expression of solidarity with our Muslim neighbors. Hawkins avowed reasoning for undertaking this public demonstration with her assertion that Christians as, and Muslims are, after all, quote, people of the book called upon by the Wheaton College Administration to clarify her assertion relative to the college evangelical statement of faith, Hawkins has steadily refused to make a statement. I would suggest to you, my friends, that this book that you hold in either your lap or in your phone And bring your phone, if your Bible is on your phone, we invite you to bring your technology here to church and to use it to read the scriptures. I would suggest to you, my friends, that this alone is the one and only book with nothing else added. We will not add anything else to the scriptures but this book. Yes? I hope you can say amen to that because this is what we're facing in our culture today. We will have people say, we can take this book, we can take other books, and we'll lay them side by side, and that will never happen in God's world. If you doubt it, read the story of 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and find out what Dagon's Temple is all about. Do you know the story of Dagon's Temple? It's not our purpose to study that passage this morning, but be people of the book, read it. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Read it this next week and see what happens when any other idols are put next to the living God. It's a fascinating story. We are people of the book. Parkside Bible Church, wear out your Bible. Every day, every year, every month. I encourage you to be a part of the Bible studies and the opportunities to take by way of the teaching of the Scriptures. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. Would you follow along this morning as I read these two verses? Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Verse 10, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Two verses for our text this morning. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. I submit to you, my friends, that Palm Sunday was something prophesied years before the event happened. Wasn't it nice this morning when we saw the children bringing the palm trees up, uh, the palm branches up here to the front? That was significant because that was what happened on that first Palm Sunday. When Jesus came into the city riding on a donkey, the crowds identified and acknowledged the fact that he was their Messiah. But notice in this text, That there is not just one coming. Verse 9 is the first coming. The second coming is also connected to this passage. We have two comings here. And we'd like to just pull these verses apart this morning as we consider Palm Sunday. I believe that Palm Sunday leads to Calm Sunday. Palm Sunday leads to Calm Sunday. And we are moving, friends, we are moving slowly but steadily. We're moving forward historically into a time and a place where all of creation is going to be affected by his second return. His first return was unbelievable, and we'll see that in this text. But when he comes a second time, there is going to be a peace, a shalom, a calmness that is going to come over the whole earth. Because of his return. And that's what Zechariah is presenting to us in these two verses. Go back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. We see his first coming. There are two comings that Jesus was going to be a part of this first coming accounts for his coming to us in this first revelation of God's hearts it's what we call palm sunday the week before the week before Jesus came into the city Jesus brought back to life a man called Lazarus he brings back people from the dead And he brought Lazarus back to life about a week before this event of Palm Sunday. Can you imagine Bethany, which is only two or three miles from Jerusalem? It sits exactly east of Jerusalem. The people that were in Bethany, they were abuzz with the excitement that Lazarus was back with them. I can't help but think that Lazarus and his sisters and the people that saw him come back to life that they were part of the crowd that was proclaiming the wonder of his return coming into the city. There was a buzz that was happening in Israel because of who Jesus Christ was and what he was doing. There were thousands of people that were probably present in the city of Jerusalem. It would be like our Christmas. When we celebrate Christmas, Everything shuts down. Everybody gathers together with family. We have special services around Christmas. We even do it during Easter. Everything shuts down because it's a holiday. It's a major holiday. In Israel, the Passover was their Christmas, was their Easter. Everything shut down. And everyone went to Jerusalem. They went to celebrate the Passover, to remember what Jesus Christ was going to do for their sin because they had sacrificed lamb after lamb after lamb, year after year, lamb upon lamb upon lamb for their sins to be a covering. But here comes their Messiah. Here comes their King. Here comes their Savior. And so it's a time of great celebration as he comes into the city Luke records it this way in Luke chapter 19. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They wanted them to rebuke for what they were proclaiming. I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, even the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over the city. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day What would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. This was the day that the Lord has made. This was the day of rejoicing for the nation of Israel. Psalm chapter 118, verse 26 was a proclamation of this day. This was the day that Israel was given their king. This was the day of rejoicing. The prophet Zechariah says, "Rejoice greatly, O Jerusalem, O Zion! Here's your king." We know the story. The nation of Israel rejected him as their Messiah. Zechariah paints it this way He says, Your king comes to you. Israel was looking for a king. They're still looking for a king. Back in the late 70s, when I visited Jerusalem and I stood outside the wailing wall, I think I've told you the story but it's worth repeating. The Jews today are looking for any time a Messiah to come into the city of Jerusalem. And I asked that rabbi, Rabbi, what are you anticipating for tomorrow? And he said to me, paraphrasing what he said, we are waiting for any day now our Messiah to come into the city of Jerusalem and to proclaim himself as our Messiah. That's what they're looking for. That was back in 1979. Has he arrived yet? They missed him. The king of Israel came to them in this first coming. He was a ruler, and he would trump all evil. How does Zechariah describe him? There are three ways in which the scriptures here in Zechariah 9 describes him. See, your king comes to you, righteous, and having salvation, gentle, and riding on a donkey. We first see that he's a righteous king. Contrast this to all the wicked kings that Israel had up to this point. He is fully righteous. There is no sin found, as Zechariah says. He's going to be fully righteous. That's going to be critical, as we see the story unfold. For it leads to the second description. He has salvation. His coming the first time was to lay his life down as a righteous sacrifice for you and for me and for all the world. That's why he came. That's why he stands alone. He's been the only one that has been righteous in every element of his life. Righteous to even his thoughts and his attitudes and his actions were completely righteous. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that there at the cross, he provided salvation for you and for me and for the rest of the world. He still has salvation, you know. Describing him as Zechariah does, he has not changed. He's a God filled with salvation. His righteousness was given for us at the cross in place of our brokenness in our sin. God the Father took all of our punishment of sin, placed it upon him, and then what he did is he took all of his righteousness and he placed it on us, and there is a great exchange that happened there at the cross. Believe on him and you will be changed. Trust in him. Put him as your Lord and your Savior, and he will do things that you can't even ask or imagine. It will be out of this world. He brings salvation. Zechariah describes him as being righteous and bringing salvation, but notice thirdly that Zechariah describes him as being gentle. I love this word gentle. It has the idea of humbleness. It has the idea of meekness. It is not weakness. Meekness and humbleness and gentleness is not a form of weakness. No, it's a form of strength. He had the power to call legions of angels. He had the power to do what he could have done, going to the cross of Calvary and said, Enough! But he willingly and obediently went to the cross because it was the Father's will that he be broken on behalf of broken people. He came as one who is gentle and humble. When Jesus describes himself only one time in the Bible, he describes himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, and here's how he describes himself. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I will do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He comes as a gentle, humble, meek God. Look at how he comes on a donkey. Not only on a donkey, but the donkey of another. There are two donkeys in the story. The mother and the baby. The full of a donkey. Double humility, double gentleness. He rides on a donkey. If he really is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, you know, he should have come on a white horse. He will. He's going to. He's coming. But he comes on a donkey. He comes in peace. He pursues us so that we might have peace. That we might have the rest that our soul yearns for. This is, my friend, the first coming. It was significant. It was different than what they thought. And it's different than what we think. Our perspective of life has not changed from their perspective of life. We see God. We like to think of God differently. God moves slowly. He moves prospectively forward, and he's always at work, but he does it with gentleness, humbleness, bringing salvation and righteousness. God, my friends, is at work today in ways that we don't even see. That's his first coming. Look at verse 10, because here's where it gets rather exciting. I submit to you that verse 10 deals with his second coming. And between verse 9 and verse 10, you have here at least 2,500 years between these two. We're not sure when Jesus Christ is coming back a second time, but I guarantee you, with all of the fibers that are within me, I can tell you truthfully, eyeball to eyeball, he is coming back. He is coming back. And you and I might say, well, you know what? They've been talking about this for 2,000 years, right? Right? Yeah, right. It's not going to happen in our day. It might happen in another hundred years, another thousand years. That's true. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. That's true. And it might be another 2,000 years. I give you that. But the Apostle Paul lived in the reality when Paul saw the ascended Christ. Paul was living his life. This was just years after the resurrection and the ascension. Paul thought it was going to be in his day. We're 2,000 years later buckle up put your seatbelt on he's coming back and the second coming is filled with unbelievable description look at the first description that we find here in this passage of scripture he will personally abolish the weapons of war look at verse 10 i will god will he will personally i will take away the chariots from ephraim and the war horses from jerusalem and the bible uh, the battle bow will be broken. We find here that the weapons of what was used in the ancient world, these three that are listed, chariots, war horses, and battle bows, these were the arsenals of ancient wartime tools that they used. And what he's going to do is take all of those arsenals of war and he's going to do away with them. War is going to end. Can you imagine, friends, If America could take the budget that we spend on military protection, take that off of the table, and we no longer have to spend millions and billions of dollars to protect ourselves, just think what the world would be like if we didn't have to budget that in governments. Nice thought, huh? Your taxes will go down. Nice thought, huh? He's going to abolish... All of the arsenals of war, top 10 countries today on the planet, the top 10 most powerful countries, USA is number one, Russia is number two, China is number three, India is number four, United Kingdom is number five, France is number six, South Korea is number seven, Germany, eight, Japan, nine. Turkey 10. Nine countries in the world possess a total of 15,695 nuclear weapons. The United States and Russia account for 93% of all nuclear weapons. Since their peak in the mid-1980s, global arsenals have shrunk by over two-thirds. More countries have given up weapons and programs in the last 30 years than they have tried to acquire them. I submit to you that the direction is positive. But when you're fleeing a forest fire, it is not just direction but speed that matters. And we are sitting on 15,695 nuclear weapons today. The arsenal of war is a real threat to humanity. I believe, because the Bible teaches it, that humanity will not be annihilated. We will not annihilate ourselves. Only because he will step in and save us. But if left to ourselves, you take God out of the picture, and I submit to you a horrible situation on planet Earth. If we, the government leaders and us in our sin nature, were to try and govern ourselves, we would definitely annihilate ourselves. And if you don't believe that from a government standpoint, just look at your neighborhoods and also look at your own soul. We annihilate people all the time. We crucify them. We kill them. We martyr them. We murder them. Our sin nature is no different than the sin nature that abides in our government leaders. It's the sin nature. If left to ourselves, we'd be a mess. But God here promises through Zechariah that he will take away all of the arsenals of war. And I believe that all of these bombs and all of these things that we've accounted and tried to put together to protect ourselves, all of these are going to be done away with when he comes back a second time. Look at the second characteristic here in Zechariah 9. He'll remove all of the uh, arsenals of war, but secondly, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He will proclaim peace. God will take into account He's the only one that can save us. Our government officials cannot. And that doesn't mean that we pull ourselves out of the formula. We stay connected into what God is doing today. I believe we need to be responsible in that. But ultimately, it is God who brings peace to this earth. And Jesus Christ will come back a second time, and he will bring peace, and he will uphold it. It's one thing to proclaim peace. It's another thing to uphold it. His essential authority can only do this. It is a matter of his command. When he speaks it, it is true. And he will speak peace into this world. From Palm Sunday to Death Sunday, to Resurrection Sunday, to Ascension Sunday, to the Return Sunday, to Calm Sunday. That is where Palm Sunday leads. Two comings. First coming is salvation. Second coming, he'll establish a righteous and a holy kingdom that will rule all of the earth. From sea to sea, he describes here in verse 10. Skip down to verse 16 of the same chapter and look at how Zechariah describes in verse 16. The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people, Israel. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be, Israel. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. New wine was part of the coming kingdom. That's why when Jesus, his first miracle was turning water into wine. Why? Because the prophets of old talked about there being new wine in the coming kingdom. That was part of the kingdom expression and the description of what God was going to do. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5 through 7 says it this way. The boots of all those invading troops along with their shirts soaked with blood will be piled in a heap and burned. A fire that will burn for days. For a child has been born to us, the gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be amazing counselor, strong God, eternal father, prince of wholeness. His ruling authority will grow and there will be no limits to the wholeness that he brings. He'll rule from the historic David throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going. With fair dealing and right living, beginning now and lasting always, the zeal of God of the angel armies will do all of this. That is the second coming of Christ. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10, I believe, gives us the first description of Palm Sunday. But the description leads to a wonderful conclusion of calmness for all of the earth and for all of humanity. Are you looking for calmness this morning? Are you looking for peace? Are you looking, my friends, for your soul to find satisfaction in life? I point you to the author and the creator and the salvation of your soul. Come to Christ. It's found in him and in him alone. He is, after all, what our souls desire. Submit to him. Draw close to him. Draw near to him this morning. He has wonderful things in store for you and for me. Come to the lover of your soul, the soul healer, and find calmness at the cross of Calvary. The psalm writer says it well. Here I am, humbled by your majesty, covered by your grace so free. Here I am, knowing I'm a sinful man or a sinful woman, covered by the blood of the lamb. Now I've found the greatest love of all that is mine since you laid your life down, the greatest sacrifice. Here I am, loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? If you haven't put your faith and your trust in Christ, I invite you to come to the cross of Calvary this morning. Believe that he died in your place. And by putting your faith and your trust in him, you don't need to do anything but believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will find eternal salvation for your soul. And my friends, if you've taken that step of faith, draw close to him for the days are desperate and the days are coming when his return is near. And when they come, the birthing pains of his return are going to be felt. Prepare for his return is near. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer shall we? Father, thank you this morning for this great passage of historical truth that is found in the prophet Zechariah. Thank you, Father, for the truth of your word that shows us the truth of your son, the one who came as a lamb to give his life for us, and then, Father, for him to come a second time when he will come to establish his kingdom. What a great and glorious day that will be. Father, may the church today As we look forward to the rapture, may we be strengthened and encouraged by the promises that are found in the good book. Thank you, Father, for these moments to meditate on these great thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen.